0: This is Marketing Then and Now, a talk and tell with Bozell, where we talk with experts about trends and practices, current and tried and true, and we tell you how to implement them in your own marketing strategies. It's Marketing Then and Now, now. Hello, and welcome to a new edition of Marketing Then and Now, a talk and tell with Bozell. My name is Jim Mingi, and I will be your host today on what is expected to be a jaw-dropping eye-popping episode of Marketing Then and Now. So (laughs) I said eye-popping and jaw-dropping because this is part two of our four-part series on influencers and marketing, and we've got a very exciting guest with us today. So far, we've talked about who influencers are, how they've evolved over the past 10 years, um, how they've not only dominated social media but influencers have now moved beyond their influence on social media and are now influencing news as as trusted news sources. So a lot of influence and a lot of a lot of power these days with, with influencers. So in our first episode, we talked with Bozell CMO, Jackie Miller, uh, and she talked about oh everything from how marketers can find influencers and tap into their powerful reach. Um, we talked about uh, ROI with influencers, uh, with brand partnerships. Um, you can find that podcast on the platform that you're listening to this one on, so be sure to check that out. For today's episode, we wanted to sit down with a micro-influencer. So that's someone between 10,000 and 50,000 followers, roughly. So with us is an influencer who probably isn't going to be a micro-influencer for very long uh, because she her audience and reach is growing by leaps and bounds. She's going to be She'll have a hundred thousand and then a million in no time. Her name is Allison Wedig. Allison, welcome.
1: Hello, thank you. It's truly an honor to be here. When you guys reached out, I was like. I'm flattered. I'm going to have imposter syndrome. So thank you.
0: <laughs> Allison is one of those people. If you go look at her her Instagram, you start looking through these photos and the things that you do and the places that you go and you say, I want to be that person. I want to live that life. And so you have so much going on in your life, uh, you know, from hosting your own podcast, Already Friends, to owning a vintage clothing store, the 1404 Collective in Omaha, to you have, a I think, an Airbnb that's very uniquely designed to being, you know, what we have you here for, a social media influencer with a growing list of followers and clients. So excited to have you here. Let's start by, let's go back to the beginning. Uh, to the tell, tell, all it, right. <laughs> tell us how you got your start. You know, how did you start your journey uh, on becoming an influencer? How did you decide on your niche? Uh, you know, the travel and lifestyle content that you do. How did you decide on to focus on that? I guess, how did it start?
1: All right, taking it all the way <laughs> back, kind of like you said at the beginning, how the entire industry has changed so much since it started. I feel like the word niche was not even on the drawing board back when Instagram started. So I truly had no intention of following a specific path. Back then, the apps were just for fun and entertainment. And I was like, I love this. When I was way younger, I would make a physical scrapbook every year. I'd print off all the photos and make these little themes with it. So once MySpace came around, I was like, I'm an early adopter. I loved coding my own little websites and putting my favorite music on there and the photos. And I feel like as more and more platforms just kept coming onto the scene, I was just always an early adapter because I'm naturally very curious. And it was like, all right, MySpace, this is fun. I had a cool journey with that. And then MySpace kind of fell off and then Instagram came and then TikTok came and more and more just keep coming. And I think... A big part of my success in it is being willing to be that early adopter. And to answer your actual question about how did I choose lifestyle and travel, I didn't really ever choose intentionally. I think I've just always captured exactly what is happening in my life as it's happening. And sure enough, a lot of that tends to just be going on trips and documenting my Home life, my relationships, and my business is.
0: And so, people have obviously found an interest in your life, your business, the places you go, the things you do. Were Were you surprised, or are you surprised at, at following that you've accumulated in the time that you've been doing this?
1: Maybe in my eye, I don't feel like I have that big of a following, and maybe that's just because I'm in the industry, and you are considered such a micro influencer. You know, when you have under a hundred thousand, but then. I'll host an event, or I'll do something where I see people in real life, and I'm like, "Oh, actually, that is kind of a lot of people." It just is. I think we're so numb to numbers because yeah. we just see numbers all day long. But then, when you if you saw that many people in a room, you would be like, "Holy shit, this is a lot of people." <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay, yeah.
1: thank you guys for being here. <laughs> so, like two examples of that recently. We did our podcast group trip to Costa Rica in October and that trip sold out in one day. And then we went on the trip and it was amazing to see and connect with the people who I'm like speaking to through the microphone because it's very easy for social media, I feel like to be one-sided and you're just posting this stuff and it goes into the abyss of the internet and you're like, who, who's receiving this? Does, it act- Does anyone care out there? Hello, hello. And then when you get that feedback, you're like, okay, thank you it's worth my time.
0: <laughs> somebody is, somebody's listening, somebody yeah. on the other end out there. So, so there really wasn't, I mean, were you, were there any strategies that you were employing? Like, you know, here are the best practices on how to grow a following if you're a, if you want to be an influencer. I mean, are there things that you did that you think helped with that, that you can talk about or pass on to somebody who, who who's trying to build that following early on?
1: Yeah, absolutely quite a lot of them. I mean, the main basic ones, I feel like that you always see consistency, being yourself, but there's a reason that everyone says those. And I think when I switched the lens in my head of going out and trying to be like, okay, let me just try to make content. Like, What could I do today? And instead flipping it to be like, I'm just going to live my life and Photograph it or film it along the way, and it's taken so much pressure off. Like, I don't schedule any content, I don't plan anything out, I don't have this like backlog of videos planned. It's just on the fly as it's happening. And if I have a really cool week, like let's say I'm in Europe, I might feed post two or three times and have 20 stories up because right that week I'm like, This is a fun time, and I want to share this. And then I might have A couple grind days like say over like right before black friday that we just had we actually didn't do any discounts at my shop because i was like you know what amazon amazon and target can offer discounts we were a small business if you guys want to support us you can just pay the regular price it's already so affordable and but that week was very busy and so then i just like don't post that much that week and then i feel like it just feels more organic because i'm just Sharing as I go. Oh, and yeah. then I never feel behind because.
0: Yeah. No, that's the perfect way to approach it. You're you're being honest and genuine about your life. And, and if people find that interesting, great. And if they want to follow along, great. And, but it's you're just doing your thing, you being yourself, which again adds to that authenticity.
1: And my encouragement for doing it the slow, authentic way is like it's probably going to take a lot longer mm-hmm. to build up a loyal following because you're not. One of those TikTok pages where people are like, wow, prank video after prank video or like goo video or the same recipe. But like, I feel like those accounts do really well and they can blow up very fast, but they're usually around a topic, which can be really great. But if you want to go the lifestyle influencer route or make, you know, making your personality, the star of the show where people are really buying into you it's just probably going to come slower but i think that brands are starting to see that sometimes micro influencers can have different types of advantages where their audience is really bought in because they feel like they they know them so well and they trust them so well in many facets of their life
0: interesting you say that because you might have an influencer who who has 10,000 followers but that influencer could have a lot more influence and a lot more uh, Power, so to speak, at, at, compared to an influencer who maybe has 100,000 followers, but they're just putting up prank videos or far videos or, or whatever, you know, the usual stuff that pops up on, on on TikTok that you see.
1: Exactly. I think you need to know like your why. Like, if your goal is to just have this huge account you just want to get to a million as fast as possible on f- silly dog videos, like you can do that. Or if you want to be like, a more lifestyle creator, a travel creator, then it might just take a little more time. But that's okay because in the long run, you're not going to burn out. You're going to have l- people that have stuck with you through the ages. Like, I feel so grateful that the people that started following me when I was a moron in college, like posting sorority content out at the bars, doing whatever hooligan stuff we were doing, that those people have stuck around through all of my eras. And like, it's so sweet. I'll get messages of people being like, wow, it's really cool to see you, you know, work on personal development and grow up. And like, I remember way back when I'm like, cool. Thanks for loving me through the process.
0: So with this, the type of content, that type of that lifestyle, what platforms have you uh, been most effective for you in growing your influence?
1: With there being so many platforms out there, my advice to people is always to really think about what type of content you create, because there's an app that caters towards any of that. If you love to speak into the camera, I feel like TikTok is awesome for capturing that type of content. If you could talk all day, aka me, start a podcast. But I, I don't love being on camera as much, but I could talk into a microphone for endless hours. But I also just love still imagery. And writing long captions, so an Instagram album that was of maybe my weekend with a long caption. Like I love creating in that way. And for anyone out there who's like, I'm just so overwhelmed. There's so many. Do I do YouTube? Do I do TikTok? How do I do it all? I don't think you have to do it all. Like I'm not on Twitter at all. I don't really post anything to YouTube because I I, I do like video, but it's not. I'm not as good at video as I am or I feel as good as video at, say, talking on a podcast or capturing still photos. And so I can either climb this uphill battle to create content that doesn't come as naturally to me, that I don't feel as fulfilled by, or I can just hone in on the platforms that resonate with me more. So in time, I feel like since I enjoy posting so much on Instagram, that's probably where my most loyal and connected audience is. And I've recently been way more on lemon 8. It's okay. from the same people who made TikTok and I feel like it's their go at trying to get a piece of Instagram's pie because it's like you have Meta and then you have ByteDance yeah. and they're both trying to be the top dog. And there's some aspects of TikTok that just like can't be Instagram. People don't want that. So I th- they I think they decided, okay, we'll just make this other app. And to me it's kind of merging Instagram and Pinterest. And so I, I think it came into the United States in like April. So I downloaded it immediately and back to the, uh. circling back to the theme of early adopting, got on it right away and I was like, you know what, I'm going to make a, a video to post on TikTok and Instagram talking about this app and where I see the future of it going and how I could see entrepreneurs, small business owners and creatives really utilizing that app. Well, it didn't even get that many views, maybe... I don't know, 8,000 on each or something, but Byte Dance happened to see it because right. I was talking about their new okay. app. And so now I partner with them and I just get paid to create on the app every single day. And it's amazing. I, I can just make wellness content, the things I already love doing. And so I think that's another part of that pie is I, if I got a partnership with I don't know Reddit or something. I like, I don't, I don't post on Reddit. So there's no point in me trying to grow on an app that I don't want to be on every day myself as a consumer.
0: That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, you, you touched on this a little bit, uh, from the things that you do decide to promote, how do you maintain that authenticity? Um, you know, you're, you're, I mean, you're essentially selling a product. You're, you're, you're the pitch woman, pitch person, uh, pitching this product. But at the same time, you want to be authentic and real, uh, uh to your audience. How do you maintain that balance?
1: Yeah, that is a, that was really, a mouthful. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a good loaded question for a good loaded <laughs> part of influencing world. And that is something that I do struggle with a lot because I just, don't love promoting products in that way. I would consider myself to be like fairly minimalist. And I have a secondhand shop for a reason because I don't don't support fast fashion. And I used to way back in high school before I knew better. But so much of life, I feel like, is once you know better, how do you keep doing something that kind of goes against your own values? And for me, that's just not something I was gonna do. So I do turn down a lot of work. Because to me, I don't want to have that guilt of pushing a product that I wouldn't use just to get a a couple hundred bucks. Because in the long run, losing that connection with my audience is just not worth it for me. And so I've kind of taken the route, honestly, of having my own businesses that are actually what monetize my platform. I don't do that many paid partnerships. I would never probably do more than one paid partnership a month in order to maintain executing on those deliverables very well, not feeling stressed out, not feeling like I'm overloading my audience with ads and making them fatigued. And then when I feel like if I do a partnership, my community is more receptive of that because I'll be like, all right, guys, Here's my like one post. Like, If you want to give it some love, I would really appreciate that. You guys know I don't post that many of them, so yeah. be nice. And yeah. then I can use my channels to promote the things that I – like my shop and the podcast, which benefit me more in the long run than promoting a company. And then my last kind of note on that is I try not to just do quick one-off partnerships. Like one feed post – It's just like it's not worth the time to go through the emails and the deliverables just for one thing unless it's a really good exchange for both parties. I really am into long-term partnerships where like I did one with Newly last year. That was three months. And then so it's like I shared what was in my order. It's like a clothing rental subscription. So you get the clothes and then you wear them and then you send it back. And I love doing that. Cool video.
0: concept. Love that concept.
1: Exactly. And so I think <laughs> the more you do partnerships that are really true to your morals, whatever they are and your interest, you'll continue to attract more companies like that because a lot of small businesses follow each other. And like I've gotten work, say like with this brand called Mandarin, they make like leather fanny packs. I absolutely love them. Well then through the creators that they work with, I found other brands that are similar. And then you can kind of get into a niche community within the whole industry.
0: A lot of influencers, you know, most influencers don't have a store or maybe even a podcast. How would you recommend or advise them on, you know, for an influencer who maybe doesn't have a store, who doesn't or maybe doesn't even have a podcast yet, are there uh, avenues of monetization that they should, you know, that they can reach to maybe that low hanging fruit that they can go after uh, when they're first starting out?
1: Definitely. Cause I didn't have the podcast until three years ago and same about okay. the same time with the shop. So I was doing this okay. for a, quite a long time before I had my own thing and I had to do more of those partnerships. And ultimately I think that was a big reason of why I wanted to have my own business because I was like, well, I have this whole platform. Either I could keep using it to make everyone else money or I could promote my own businesses and I think that's why you do see a lot more influencers starting their own brand because they're like well you know we saw Vine just get deleted out of the blue they're like well then my work goes away and so it's great yeah. to diversify and you know during the pandemic I think we saw how quickly things can change and diversifying my income has always been very important to me. And so I think even within your own channels, there's many ways to monetize without just getting brand deals. Like how we even said with Lemonade, like working directly with the app, like I'm not getting paid from having to promote anything. You know, TikTok has the TikTok creator program. Most of the apps have that and you can get paid that way. I would also recommend digital downloads. Have you heard of Stan? It's like that Lincoln bio. I think it's a brilliant idea. I think he's a Stanford graduate, and a lot of content creators don't want to have to build out like an entire website or create a business. I, you know, if you're just getting started, but I think that's a great tool because it's thirty dollars a month. If you let's say like with my Airbnb, maybe not everyone can come stay at the Airbnb, but I could make a PDF on how to do Airbnb arbitrage because I don't own the unit where my Airbnb is. And so people are always like, how did you get your landlord to agree to that? And so it's like, I could sell a PDF that talks about how I pitched it to my landlord, all the nuances behind it, how I furnished the whole thing for like a thousand bucks, you know, yeah. all that stuff. I could sell it for I don't know, 20 bucks. Same kind of thing we did with the podcast. We made a how to start a podcast guide for $25. Probably sold like 150 of them. So there's other things you can do. You can host meetups. You can collaborate to do events. Even we're getting uh, the Trova Trip, which is the company we held the Costa Rica podcast trip through. And we're doing another one in 2024, actually two of them. And at that company, you basically get paid to host group trips. That's
0: so cool. How, is, how many people went on that that trip that you just went on?
1: There were 19 okay. of us. That's so cool. Super cool. And if I had known that way back, all of the options that are on the table, you're like, oh, there's so many ways to go about yeah. this. And it's cool that you can make this, like I love traveling. So for me, I would way rather host a group trip and get a free trip out of it, and make a little something, then promote some gadget on TikTok Shop.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of those. There are. <laughs> uh, well, the, the, so the group trips is that kind of a new trend as you look at the influencer landscape. You know, maybe looking at some trends that you see on the horizon for for micro influencers, at least, um, especially in that that travel uh, travel content area.
1: A huge trend that I think we'll be moving towards is community and belonging. And I feel extra keyed into that as our podcast is called already friends. So I'm probably a little biased in thinking that that's very important, but as there's been so many more and more and more people that become influencers on these apps that it's just like, people are overwhelmed. They're like, who do I follow this? It's so many people to keep up on. And I think the creators that really have that connection with their audience and make them feel safe and that they can relate to, people will stick around. And I myself have even been watching way more of like long form content because we, it's just exhausting. Like you're scrolling through and it's just like five second reel, seven second reel. And you, you're like, oh my God, it's been 10 minutes and I've been bombarded. Like for one minute, I thought maybe I should change careers and go into rock climbing. And then I was like, maybe I should live in a fan. And I'm like, maybe I'll be a chef. Like, so And true. then you get off and you're just like, oh my God. And, but if you can say, watch a 10 minute video, you're like, oh, this is a really nice vlog, And I learned a lot and I could kind of chill because I think people are starting to realize the negative effects of how much social media impacts us as far as comparison and keeping up with the Joneses and staring at our phones all day and how addictive it can really be. So I follow a lot of trend reporters is that what you'd call them and they all seem to kind of be saying that long form content and really connecting with your audience in the same way that when you facetime a friend i'm not a big facetime person but people will just facetime each other and go about their routine they'll be cooking and it's just kind of on in the background and they're predicting that creators that make content that people can put in the background will do really well almost like how we used to just turn on a show It's like, oh, I'm not really, I'm kind of watching the show. I'm also kind of on my iPad. I'm kind of scrolling. Maybe I'm reading, but more of that long form and even podcasting. I feel so great about it because I don't feel like I'm taking away from people's in the moment experience. People can throw a podcast on while they're bettering their own life. Maybe they're cleaning their house. They're on a walk. They're commuting to work, but I have like some guilt from just posting endless Instagram stories because I'm like, okay, maybe they're helping people, but also I want people to still go live their life while I can inspire them.
0: Are you seeing yourself kind of leaning towards more of that long form or videos?
1: Yeah, I've been posting way fewer Instagram stories, which is hard for me because Instagram stories are like, it's, they're, I'm trying to think of like a good comparison, like th- that little bit of candy in the candy dish right there, where you can just, it's so tempting because it doesn't take that much thought. But you, if you're posting quite a few Instagram stories and then they go away, you're giving a lot of creative power to something that's like not evergreen and going to last for a long time. And it's, so tempting to just do the easy bait. Oh, I can just throw up Instagram stories, but then all of a sudden I'll notice it's been a week and I haven't posted to my feed, but I've posted on Instagram stories every day. And I'm like, well, that's kind of hurting me more in the long run. So I've been trying to limit myself to like three Instagram stories a day to force myself to make m- more content. Because an Instagram story is never going to get have a viral video. It's just good housekeeping I feel like, and on all the platforms, I feel like there's you, you now have to balance on each, say even Instagram. It's like now they have the broadcast channel. There's reels, there's yeah. static photos, there's stories yeah. you can do live. Interesting. And it can be easy to get overwhelmed by not just all the apps in general, but how much you even could post on one platform. So not overdoing anyone too much, I guess, where I feel burnt out. And even circling back again to being the early adopter now that they have the broadcast channels on instagram that to me is telling me that community is where these apps are trying to go because why making a broadcast channel where you now message your community like that seems like they're pushing people in that direction again
0: Allison, that was exactly what we were looking for for this. I, your insight and your experience is so cool, and it's so awesome to see the success that you've enjoyed. You no, know, best of luck to you as you continue to to grow your audience. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for sharing your life as an influencer. Uh, I'm guessing by the time we talk to you next time, you're going to have moved from from uh, from micro to, to macro that you're going to have at least a million followers. Uh, or by the next time we <laughs> talk to you, you. so. But, <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm honored. Yeah. And thank you for joining a, another edition of Marketing Then and Now. If you haven't subscribed, my goodness, what are you guys waiting for? It makes life so much simpler. You just get a little alert and it says, Ding! and hey, there's a new episode. and you, can, you don't have to set any reminders. It's just, it's, it's so easy. So go subscribe. And then you won't miss the next episode in this four-part series on influencers. So you got that going for you, which is nice. <laughs> so until next time, this is Jim Mingy signing off from the Bozell Studios somewhere in Middle America.